on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Joining me on the pod, as ever, is Jack Elderton, but... No Callum Goodall yet. He will be joining us for a Frankfurt preview later on, but he's he just doesn't want to talk about that Chelsea game. We've we've rotated the squad and actually chosen just to just to rest Cal, because you might as well. Um, we've got two well, we don't have two games to look at, but we will talk about two games. We'll talk about the defeat at Chelsea in the half empty bridge and incoming Frankfurt chat and we'll a little bit of their threats, how we beat them and what we expect uh, ahead in that first leg of the Europa League semi-finals. If you would like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to us on Twitter at KUMBpod. Um, Wait, it's a really weird one to talk about, isn't it, Jack? A game where we quite obviously went in without much intent to win. It feels like, you you know, you rotate the squad, rotated the squad for the first time it felt like this season and did it drastically. And in the end, went from assuming we'd get back to having to really cruelly being defeated in the end. Yeah, bitterly disappointing result, really. The performance, um, I've seen a lot of people say the performance deserved more, and I think I said the performance deserved more after the game, but I mean that in the context of the amount of rotations and the amount of players missing. Um, I don't necessarily think that, that Chelsea won't value for a goal in, in, in the second half. Um, we were hanging on a little bit, um, uh, towards the end. Um, but yeah, they, they they performed admirably under the circumstances, really. And and to have one fit centre-back and go away to Chelsea and put in such a solid defensive performance for such a long uh, period was was really impressive. And I think that was massively helped by the way we decided to set up. And, and if there was a game to, to rotate in um, left this season, this was probably the one. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's summing up what you've got to come and, and your chances anyway. It could have been a could have been an absolute pasty regardless if Chelsea had clicked. They didn't, but yeah. we we got what we got, really. And the structure and the approach was was an interesting one. It it wasn't really like something we've done before. It kind of mixed between two systems, I guess. Yeah, a mixture of, uh, of a couple of systems we've used before and then a, and then a system we haven't seen uh, before, something that um, actually many of us won't have seen before at all. Uh, if you haven't watched um, the Champions League this season, you probably haven't seen it used um, at all. Uh, Simeone did use it um, against Manchester City um, a couple of times, but uh, a 5 5 0, um, the lesser spotted low block of death. Um, yeah, came out uh, a few times in the, in the Chelsea game. Um, it's a bit of a hybrid system between uh, a 3 4 3 with a false nine in the middle. Uh, Four now's utilised as that player, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. I think many people would have expected seeing the lineup that Yarmolenko would line up through the middle and, and Four now's and Ben Rama would play on the on the flanks. Probably Ben Rama on the on the right hand side of that three, but. Um, but no, Fornals lined up in the middle and it was about that sort of 3-4-3 three, three, false nine shape. Um, and the reason for that is that that, that can very comfortably drop into a 5-5-0 five, five, because Fornals has the pressing and positional intelligence to understand when it's the right time to go forward into the striker position and press onto the centre-backs or to limit the space Jorginho has and when it's the right time to drop off into the left central midfield and to create that nice um, block across the middle to force Chelsea to go wide where they can then be blocked up um, in those areas by Ben Rama and uh, Masawaku on one side and, and Yarmolenko and Soufal on the other side. So a good structure uh, for, a, for a defensive approach to a game, not something we've really seen us do uh, before, not that defensively anyway. And, 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 and we did a very good job of limiting Chelsea with that really until the substitutions um, in the second half where they added a lot of energy to Chelsea's uh, performance. And, and as we'd started to get a little bit leggy towards the end, then the chances started to come uh, at that point. Also, I think Chelsea made some changes, which probably we should mention as well. I think they were a little bit confused about how they wanted to attack the wide spaces in the first half, particularly with Loftus-Cheek on that that right-hand side. He didn't really look certain about whether he was going on the outside or whether he was coming mm. on the inside. His runs were all a bit confused and that stunted a lot of the moves they had down that side of the pitch. Um, and then I felt in the second half, they really understood how they wanted to attack the wide spaces a, a lot better um, and threatened in those areas much more than they had in the first half where they were totally blunt in that first 45 
45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, for 45 minutes, close to, close to six as well. I'd say the only person who really got a lot of space was Conte. And I guess that's that might have been a little bit by design. If you're going to give anyone space, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic gifted player and he does cover ground fast, but he's not always got a great amount of guile. I think that was more just uh, if there was a limitation in the way that we were playing, we were quite happy to push Noble and Suchek fairly high um, at, at times, particularly in that first 10 minutes. And, and then and then afterwards, we saw much more no, uh, Noble sitting and, and Suchek going forward and, um, and and pressing with that front unit with the, with the three ahead of him. <laughs> and um, if there's anyone who's got the legs from that that Chelsea unit who are building up, Conte's got the ability to to run beyond that press um, or even carry the ball beyond that press and, and advance Chelsea through the centre of the pitch. And he did see a little bit of space in that first half. It was my main concern at half time. How do we uh, stop him from affecting the game so positively in the in the in the central spaces? But really, if you're going to concede space to one player with room to run forwards in in in, in the centre of the pitch. In that Chelsea team, he's probably the player you would pick. Um, we looked much more focused on, on on stopping Jorginho from running the game with his distribution from deep, which we did extremely effectively. Um, and if there's a slight drawback, yes, it gave Conte some space, but really, did they create anything from it? No, not at all. No, and I mean, writing a match report on that game, I mean, I know you haven't done your rewatch yet, because I'm guessing a lot of that is enthusiasm to do it is there. I mean, writing a match report and looking at my notes... <laughs> Oh, and I looked at my notes and thought, well, how the hell am I going to get any words out of this? Yeah, <laughs> Nothing, exactly. Nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a real game. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to remember anything from the first half. I uh, think the things I remember from the first half would be that I was quite pleased with the way Fornals was operating in that hybrid role. I think he's... Um, as the season's gone on, really, uh, since he's joined, just just as he's gone on as a West Ham player, I've only really got more and more impressed with him as an individual. His his intelligence and understanding of um, of how to to um, have the maximum impact off the ball um, mm. is is far superior to, to to most of the players that we have at the club. A long way beyond. Suchek's a little bit close, I think. Suchek's got a very similar understanding of how to impact the game off the ball in a very positive way. And I think Rice is very good as well in that, in that area. But in terms of the attacking players, he's, he's streets ahead of, of anyone. Um, and, um, and I think he contributes really well on the ball. I think really what I'm looking for him next season is can he start to tick up his goal returns a little mm. bit more? Because that's something that's that's been fairly inconsistent yeah. for him and hasn't quite hit the heights on, he's on that. He's sketchy in front of goal, isn't he? Uh, well, I th- I, the thing that's disappointing is I think he's a pretty good ball striker. So mm. I think, you know, uh, really his numbers should be higher than they are. And, and, and for the quality of player he is, he should be returning somewhere more towards eight to 10 goals a season, yeah. I think, because he's got the ability to find the right spaces around the box. Um, so I think that's what I'm looking for from, from him for next season. But in terms of his development as a player since he joined, it's it's uh, marked more so than most players really Declan Rice has improved massively over the last few years and, and so has Craig Dawson since he joined and, and Pablo Fornals is in that group as well of players who have improved immeasurably um, in their time at the club so far and I think really if you're looking as a manager at your squad he's such a useful player to have oh, because just, you he- where can you not play him? <laughs> a, where can you not play him? But B, also when you're when you're when you're on the clearly when you're on the training pitch midweek and you're working with the analysis department and you're bringing those messages to the players, he is one player you can 100% rely on to understand the instructions mm. you're you're giving and to carry out the role that he's asked to carry out on the pitch. He's completely disciplined in in the role be, that he's given. It must be really interesting for you when you're watching those tactical things actually because you must get quite a lot of a tell for what we want to do from what Pablo Fornells is doing he's often one of the best players to look at to get a sense of what we're trying to achieve because he's so committed to the to the approach to the game in a way that other players will will have moments where they experiment and try things and, and sometimes that can be people's frustration with four hours people will come off um, out of the game and say what's he done you know he's not yeah. done anything that really marked him out as being different to anyone else but that's because he functions as such a key cog in the centre of the system as carrying out the manager's instructions and he's so disciplined in that um 
and that's a, that's a skill in itself really and that's a, a, a in many ways a bigger skill than having a, a moment in a game yeah. um that stands out for its difference and 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 so his 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 positional discipline and, and understanding in that first half was very impressive but also um i think he played probably the best pass of the match for us and created the best moment of the match for us when he poked that ball through for ben rama and yarmolenko to run on two and yarmolenko sort of smashed a lovely looking shot well wide of the post when Ben Rahm was probably better positioned to shoot but yeah lovely little pass through and probably one oh, of our best moments going forward for the for the listeners we, we did discuss that moment and we both agreed that it was worth even though it was the worst person to do it he shouldn't <laughs> be doing it it was worth it because it looked lovely and you know sometimes that's what you pay for that's what you come it's a sport it's entertainment at the end of the day you just want a bit of a, a graceful left-footed player doing something quite artistic yeah exactly you know, entry fee alone um well, I suppose we can skip 80-odd minutes now we've done you know, a, a bit of a discussion about what happened and go to the, the kind of two crucial moments. Really. We'll start with yeah. the red card, which is it's unfortunate. I mean, a lot of people pointing out the Sufal, what Sufal did or what, what he didn't do or what Johnson did or didn't do for the head on Thiago Silva that flicks on to Lukaku, which is probably quite key to the goal, well, the penalty happening. Yeah, I think always with these things, it can be quite easy to look at the incident alone. We talked about this a lot on this podcast over the course of this season that um, often you, you look at incidents in isolated ways as fans and it's important to roll back 15 seconds before a goal's happened and see what's happened in the in the build-up to lead often to someone being exposed enough to make a bad decision. And and in this case, Dawson is left exposed, but it's Johnson and Soufal who both go uh, for a long kick forward from from Mendy, which is just uh, really, in any, in any case, really poor community communication from your two defenders and actually what happens here which is almost worse than both players going and trying to contest the header is that they both go to contest the header then notice that they're both going to contest the header and then both try and run backwards so they're neither contesting the header or helping Dawson monitor Lukaku they're caught between in no man's land and 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 effectively both make themselves useless in that in that situation and Thiago Silva gets to win a free header to flick on to Lukaku which um, yeah really poor defending from them I think Johnson maybe a little bit more so because he's a centre-back you know it's his job to go and contest the, the aerial and he should be taking control of that situation and regardless of if Sufal's making a mad decision to, to commit to the aerial he's got to go and clear that out regardless if that's Dawson playing right centre-half with Zuma yeah. inside him Dawson's going for the header regardless of what anyone exactly. else is doing Exactly what I was thinking is that just that that goal doesn't happen at least the same way. I'm not goal, the red card doesn't happen at least the same way because Dawson would have gone and killed a man running yeah. for the ball regardless. And Yeah, it, and even if you know, like in that situation, it's dropped a little bit shorter than they expect. Okay, I'm not going to make it. Just smash into him. Give yeah. the free kick away. That's, you know, like it's much better than letting him flick on and allowing a 1v1 with yeah. your centre-back just in front of your box. It's mad. Oh, it's harder, it's harder to defend your box disorganised all over the place than it is to defend a free kick. I mean, we it's, could have considered regardless, but you you back yourself. I guess it's 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 harsh when you look at these things, I suppose, too much. or not too much, but because you can kind of pick out these little things, whereas sometimes it's just, just slight errors that cause a big... Oh, yeah, pressure. 100%. It's, yeah. You know, these are very, very slight errors. And, and I think you see that throughout the season in these games. You know, uh, we've performed really well against Liverpool, lost 1-0. We performed pretty admirably against Chelsea, lost 1-0. We played pretty well in the two games against Man United and lost to two late goals. You know, very fine margins in, mm. in the games against the top six. And we've come out on the wrong side um, a little bit too much this season. Yeah, and I suppose it's one of those another game where squad depth, those main United ones, really squad depth hurt, didn't it? And it's kind of today, I guess, yesterday even, it, it, it felt a little, a little bit the same. We then get to the penalty, and I, I mean, it looks really, it looks like one of the worst penalties you've ever seen. I mean, it does. It just yeah. looks, it doesn't. It's worse than blazing it over the bar because it kind of looks like he's chipped it directly to Fabianski's hands. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an awful looking penalty, but. Um... But credit, I mean, credit where credit's due for Fabianski. Not many people have mentioned it, but um, to I think keepers are getting a better uh, sense of how to deal with this this penalty technique, which which at one point looked completely unbeatable. Um, and I think I would um, advise everyone to go and look at um, Gears Your Days threads on, on Twitter. He's done a really nice little thread of analysis on um, how Fabianski deals with the situation so well. And that's that's pretty simple, really. Anytime um, someone's taking a penalty like this, Jorginho is you know, one of the, the main names that likes to take his penalties like this. As he looks up before striking the ball to get a sense of where the keeper's going, Fabianski does a great job of planting all of his weight 
um, on his right foot, which would indicate that he's going to dive to his left because you spring from the foot where you've put all of your weight on. Mm. Um, and as he puts all of his weight on his right foot, Jorginho obviously commits to hitting it the other way. Um, and Fabianski doesn't spring for the dive. So he's just dummied that he's going to dive one way and then he can just flop onto the ball. And, and I said to you beforehand, before we recorded the pod, it, it'd be interesting to talk to Jorginho about it, but I wonder if he had the Bruno Fernandez penalty miss from the day before in his mind, because same penalty technique and Fernandez has tried to hit it really hard into the corner and has got it wrong and, and put it wide. So maybe he's tried to, to, to hit it softer to make sure that doesn't happen. And, and then, you know, if he had hit that into the corner, um, it would be really difficult for Fabianski to save because once you've planted your weight like that, it's almost impossible to dive yeah. full length. Um, but because he's hit it so softly, Fabianski can't just flop onto the top of the ball. It's weird because we kind of benefited for similar technique last week, Cornet. It's the kind of not quite as dramatic, but the stop and the look, isn't it? And he's, yeah. he's gone to roll it perfectly into the corner and missed. I mean, Fernandez then did the, I suppose did the same as well. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's kind of one of those things that you can see with the analytics and stuff. It's obviously a goalkeeper. Eventually, someone finds a way to stop someone doing something that looks really good in football. And it's that, yeah. that kind of moving game that we, we get where things suddenly pop up as trends and then drop down again because someone's worked it out. Precisely. Precisely. I think, though, in this incident, I mean, I was more distracted. I barely watched the penalty. When went live, I was more distracted by the red card and, and how that would affect us going forward. Losing Dawson yeah. for the Arsenal game is a huge, huge concern. And um, and we were punished anyway in the game. And we, you know, we were punished yeah. as a result of losing him, as is. Yeah, I mean, we'll just, I mean, we kind of, it's, it's not really difficult to discuss these kind of refereeing decisions, isn't it? So I don't want to dwell yeah. on it too much. It, uh, certainly, at the very least, I think you can look at it and say, well, I can understand it, which at least I think it's kind of what you're after with referees. And I'm sure there'll be Everton fans who can't quite understand some of the things that happened to them at uh, <laughs> Anfield yesterday. At least, at least we have an understanding. Um, yeah, we did get punished and Rice drops in. So we lose our only natural centre-back for someone who can't, who used to play it, but isn't one anymore. We lose our yeah. best defensive midfielder. Um, but weirdly, we do, we lose those two, but everyone's probably full of hope because they haven't had many chances. They suddenly get a late chance. It feels definite and it doesn't go in. Yeah. And it suddenly feels like, oh, we, we probably will get a point out of this. Yeah, and we've been playing 5-5-0 anyway, so just 5-4-0 yeah. Bosch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, was kind of, it wasn't really affecting how we play. However, it's those, it's those people in those places, I guess. And what we see from the goal is, and what you pointed out to me earlier, is, is you, don't, you don't get the same reaction from Lanzini. But actually, it, comes, it goes even further back, doesn't it, to what we're well, doing on the ball. Pe- a lot of people drag it all the way back to the, to the Bowen in the corner and whether it did go out or didn't go out. And um, I don't care whether it did go out or didn't go out. I mean, for God's sake, well, why are we arguing over some sort of marginal, uh, is it touching the white bit of grass or the, it's, it's probably not gone out. And if it has gone out, arguing that the linesman should definitely see that it's crossed over the last blade of white grass is a little bit uh, mad, I think. Um, So I think let's all move on from that. And um and then the thing that's more frustrating is afterwards, Chelsea clear it upfield and Johnson's got the ball <laughs> in acres of space with like four different people to pass to. And he just smashes it straight back upfield to, to launch a Chelsea counterattack, which is, makes no sense whatsoever. It's worth, it is worth, one of those that's worth people watching back because I'd imagine in, within the highlights, it's probably lost because it's not the interesting part. But actually, Cresswell wins the ball back and digs a pass out to Johnson, who is kind of the last man centrally, but he's got Rice to the left and further along right, I would guess that's so foul. Yeah. And instead he just punts the ball randomly upfield that we lose. Yeah, he's got Lanzini right in front of him as well. Oh. And as he punts it forward, and remember what happened last week as well. And we were talking about Johnson as the last man then and a little bit of a lack of composure in those mm. situations, which is why Johnson's not going to be a right centre-back or a centre-back, everyone. Um he's going to be a fullback. Uh, but in this situation, again, he's uh, pinned as the last player and he's got several options and yeah, just punts it forward. And if you're going to punt it forward, please, for the love of God, kick it off the pitch. Like if, if you've decided you're going to do that, you have to put it out for a throw in or a goal kick. But instead of doing that, he just puts it lovely in for the Chelsea defence. They're countering anyway. They're in their shape and we're all over the shop. Um, you know, you've got what at that point when he punts the ball forwards, you've got a combination of Cresswell, Johnson, Lanzini, and um, and Soufal near the back. Mm. Rice is nowhere to be seen. So you've got this whole 
terrible kind of everyone trying to recover their positions as Chelsea attack forwards. And, uh, and then at that point, it is, it is really poor from, from Manuel Lanzini, who, who seems to think the ref is playing for Chelsea and shadows him all the way towards the box rather than Pulisic. Um, Pulisic is left in acres of space to, to slot home from the cutback. And Lanzini's responsibility should be marking him. I don't know why he sees him so late. He's scanning the wrong area. He's not scanning behind him. He's mm. scanning, um, sorry, he's not scanning across the pitch. He's scanning behind him. And there they, is and a great moment when he does scan that you can see him <laughs> react, which I think is worth everyone watching as well because you can physically see a man go, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you see, uh, as he finally scans the right position, <laughs> uh, as the central referred to it, he suddenly notices Pulisic and then you see the, oh, fuck, run. Let me run really fast. <laughs> see if I can intercept this and he doesn't quite get there uh, moment. But that's something I've talked about with Lanzini before. And that's my main issue with him going forward is he's not really quite a 10 because he doesn't impact in the final third enough. And he's not really quite an eight because he's not really got the scanning, natural scanning ability from that position to look in the right positions. Um, If you look at Declan Rice, he's always scanning and he's always aware of everything around him. Lanzini isn't quite aware of what's Mm. going on around him uh, when he's playing defensively in that eight position. And that's a perfect example here. So yeah, Lanzini's responsibility, but then maybe slight little bit of criticism for Pablo Fornals, who does see Pulisic is in a position to Mm. potentially recover um, and doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't do that obster to try and stick with Kante who runs past him anyway um, and Chelsea scores so it's a, it's a poor goal to concede a series of errors from, from everyone involved and I think um, a little bit disappointed with Lanzini uh, although that's a mistake that's typical of his game um, maybe more so disappointed with Johnson because that's two really poor poor mistakes which have been about a lack of composure in quite simple situations really uh, that have mm. let the team down it's what I described earlier as a uh, is your goal, isn't it? It's that it's that cut back into that into that space that we don't really track well. It is, and I granted, I guess if Rice had been there, that's probably where he would have been covering in. Yes, which is unfortunate, but it is it's a it's a symptom or a problem we've had. Yes, it's a problem we've had for 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 a long time, and um, something that we had done pretty well at resolving actually if you think i haven't really complained about it no you haven't actually for for about four months um since the turn of the year we haven't really conceded many goals like that um so disappointing to see one creep back in yeah and it's it was an interesting game i mean we've we've talked we move on from that we talked about it was not an interesting game but Uh, no it wasn't interesting. (laughs) the game itself was not an interesting game it was almost the most interesting part of the game was before the game wasn't it when you saw that that was It was an interesting lineup. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think a better, that's what you meant better, to say. Better yeah. term. It's an interesting lineup. I mean, we've talked on the podcast a lot about not rotating. We'd like more rotation, more use of the squad anyway, in different ways. Maybe not so obvious rotation, but just one or two every so often or more subs. Yeah. We suddenly do a, I've got six changes. Yeah. Um, I suppose, I suppose, what do you think going forward? Do you think that's going to be carrying on with the season? We're going to rotate on that? Or is it, were those, those half you know, maybe if we're talking about Lanzini, Rice, Bowen, Antonio, some of those will come back in a, in a game later where others are rested. Is- Possibly. I, I think it's probably a little bit more simple than that from the coaching staff's perspective. I think if you if you saw what Moyes said after the game, he said that, the, that Burnley pretty much made his mind up that the result against Burnley meant that he was going to rotate here. Um, I, I think if you were looking at the last stretch of the season, um in combination with where the Europa League fixtures are situated, you'd Mm. kind of look at it and say, in some ways we're unlucky, but in some ways we're quite lucky that the toughest fixtures are situated before the biggest games. Mm. And that gives us an opportunity to say, well, look, if we play the first team here, it's going to be tough to get a result anyway. And I totally understand that people would contradict that and say, look at Chelsea's home form recently. It's been abysmal. Look at how they played in the game. They were rubbish. And if we had played the first 11, we probably could have got a result. But on paper, Moyes is an arch pragmatist in this way. And he would have looked at it and said, Chelsea away. We've got three really big games coming up in seven days, starting on Thursday. If I can rest the key players here, because we're unlikely to get a result if I play the full first string anyway. Um, then we can look to play for a draw in this game and keep the best players or the key players fresh for that next run. And then similar, I think you'd look at Man City in a similar way because I believe Man City happens just before the final is scheduled. So you're looking at those um, those two games and saying, even if we play the full first string against Chelsea and against Man City, they're going to be tough uh, to get a result out of or to definitely to win the game. Um, and 
that maybe gives us an opportunity to rest players in those games and keep players fresh for those uh, Europa League fixtures, the one we've got against Frankfurt and then the one we might have against probably Leipzig. We'll move on now to Frankfurt ahead of the game on Thursday. Uh, Cal has joined us, even Cal. Um, I suppose we've got to analyse how they play. How do Frankfurt play, Jack? What, what are we expecting from them? Very different draw to the teams we've come up against before. Uh, one of the benefits to the teams we've played uh, before is... Um, They've both wanted to dominate the ball, Sevilla and Leon, which has suited us in terms of um, transitioning quickly and attacking uh, the defence. Leon particularly left themselves extremely exposed at the back, which massively suited the way that we like to attack. Frankfurt, extremely different, happy to play uh, without the ball. Um, <coughs> use a five at the back rather than a four, which is what we've been used to playing against recently. Um, and really what they do is... It, defensively and this is one of the things that five gives you is that defensively they can sit in with a lot of numbers very deep in a low block and they can force you into the wide spaces and make it difficult for you to construct moves that threaten them in central areas and then when they're attacking they can move to a three and have a five across the front so they're able to have high numbers defensively and high numbers offensively um, and stretch the game in well keep keep their width defensively and then stretch the game offensively um Breaking that down a little bit more, it's sort of a 5-4-1 low block defensively when they're um, forced as deep as um, as possible. Um, and then when they're pressing, it's more of a 5-2-3. Um, when we would be creating uh, with the ball deep in central areas, then they're very happy to use both central midfielders to commit extremely high up the pitch. Um, that's Road and Jakic for them. Both would be a pushing really nice and high um, to try and stop anyone from being able to turn and look forward or play forward um, in central areas. And then they're very, very aggressive. I'm not sure I've seen a team this season be so aggressive in the wide areas when they press. So the both lateral centre-backs in their three uh, will come extremely high and assist the wing-backs in pressing any balls that come into the wide zones. Um, And then to compensate the three defenders that are left. So you have the wing-back on one side and the lateral centre-back on one side pushing extremely high. Um, assisted by the centre midfielder on that side. And then the three defenders that are left will slide across into what would be a four shape, missing the fullback. Um, so that does create a little bit of space in behind um, and does sometimes leave Hinteregger exposed, who doesn't quite have the same pace that they do in the lateral zones. Um, but they're extremely strong uh, at stopping you from being able to turn and play forward basically across the pitch by being extremely aggressive um, in the middle zone, which is sort of, it's not the same as what we do, but it's not dissimilar. Um, and then offensively, very briefly, uh, it's quite simple. They want to narrow um, the pitch, uh, keep you tight on one side and then switch the ball out to the other side. And then um, with their wing backs, uh, they've got forwards basically playing in the wing back positions. Uh, Kostic is the one with the huge reputation on the left hand side, uh, but they've got Knauf as well, who's a good ball striker on the right hand side. So they like to do the same thing on either side, but they're much keener with the right. So Nariu on the right hand side and then Lindstrom has got the ability. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful player and he's got the ability to switch the ball out to the left with one or two touches. And then when Kostic is in space, the same thing's happened all season for Frankfurt. One or two touches, shoot, and um, he's got the ability to pick out the corners um, more so than, than a lot of players. Um, so that's how they threaten going forward. Um, and it's tough to play against. They scored three away from home against Barcelona doing that. Um, so making sure that we keep that monitored will be one of the things that we'll find very difficult. It sounds like it's going to be a game with a bit of a tactical chess match at times, quite a lot of organisation in there. I mean, Kostic is the one name... Uh, of I think of, uh, most West Ham fans will know at least it's kind of come up this year last two years Cal um, but who 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 else in the team as well as Kostic I suppose are the threats well there's a number really and I think what's worth noting is that Glasner their manager has built a system that really gets the best out of his players and I think that's something that's <clears throat> he's had to come in and change because in the summer a lot of players that did really well last year under Adi Hütter left so Andre Silva was probably the obvious one he had a, a crazy season last year scoring an insane amount of goals uh, and then he's rightly identified Kostic as their kind of talismanic player and as a result a lot of that stuff goes down the left side which <laughs> sounds very similar that's something that we're all used to uh, and he is uh, Jack's right to flag him up because he's currently leading um, uh, in top the Europe's top five leagues in terms of crosses per 90 he's averaging eight crosses per 90 which is more than double either of our fullbacks or any player for that matter. Um, and it, yeah, th- this is their go-to, but I think it's easy to uh, 
concentrate, like overemphasize Kostic, I think, because of how well the system suits him. But ultimately, beyond his obvious talents, which is crossing and his athleticism and his ability to carry into the final third, he's not got that much else about him. It's just that when he does get the opportunity to do that, he can do it extremely well. But assuming that obviously we have identified that um, and we have Sufal who's and Suchek out on that right side who are, A, have a nice sort of, uh, obviously working working relationship, it sounds like they're in office, Uh, understanding of one another. I think they should be able to handle him and nullify him to a degree. Uh, But annoyingly, they've also got a lot of other brilliant players. I think the first one that came to mind for me uh, was Daichi Kamada. But I think having gone back and watched it, I think that's, a slight hangover from last season where he was absolutely insane. And this season, his numbers have dropped off a bit at, because of Kostic and the overemphasis on him. But Kamada plays this interesting role where he's an inverted forward or inverted winger inside forward type player. But the way that Frankfurt like to operate means that he often comes in and receives deep in central areas um, and has the ability to either turn inward and carry the ball through the middle uh, before playing balls back into the half spaces, either out on the left, back into Kostic, who's made an overlapping run into the space that Kamada's vacated by coming in deeper uh, or carry on the play and switch it across to the right where Lindstrom's usually occupying a half space or making a run in behind because he's a player whose movement is just incredibly good. So I think Kamada's someone that we're going to have to keep an eye on, um, particularly depending on how we set up our midfield, because like I've said, if it's all well and good if you think they set up in the shape and you think of Kamada as an inside forward, but if he then drops in and essentially becomes a third central midfielder, that gives everyone else a different job to do and the whole structure shifts about. And it's something that I think Frankfurt in general are very good at is their rotations and the amount of different positions that players tend to occupy within just the space of 90 minutes. So uh, perhaps more than most games we're going to have to be super switched on and, and everyone's going to be have to be very conscious of their roles. Um, I think, yeah, arguably the most dangerous player, uh, and Jack will certainly agree on this, is Jesper Lindstrom on, out on the right side um, for different reasons to Kostic, but they're arguably both as important to the way that Frankfurt play, just playing different roles. I think, and they weirdly, considering they're on complete opposite sides of the pitch, they complement each other quite a lot because one thing Lindstrom is really good at, and he proved this against uh, Barcelona, is his his amazing ability to sort of receive in very tight, wide spaces and be able to get the ball out of his feet within one touch and just ping an absolute switch all the way across to the underloaded side where Kostic is obviously high and wide in acres of space. And sort of, it's a switch that, obviously is incredibly skillful, but also it's very difficult to set up and defend against because they're so good at drawing you in by committing all these players on the opposite side. You can't, because if you, Kostic is obviously a threat, but if you go out there and make sure he's covered, then you give the likes of Lindstrom all that space on the right-hand side to run in and terrorise you on. So it's kind of a double threat. And then the final player I'd probably mention is Bore up top. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Rafael Santos Bore, um, striker. And I mentioned him in, in connection with Lindstrom because from the games that I've watched of them, the two of them, despite only playing together for this season, seem to have developed this incredible understanding of each other's movement in the sense that obviously if the ball's often arriving into the box from this left-hand side, you've got Lindstrom who's coming over from the right, Bore who's operating centrally, and I think it's obviously helped by the fact that Lindstrom's usually stood behind Borre so you can see exactly where he's going. But if Borre makes a dart and run to the near post, for example, and drags the defender with him, it leaves this huge space in the middle for Lindstrom to then check his run, occupy that space. And the defender who has previously been watching Lindstrom is then having forced to like divert his run into the position that Lindstrom's now decided he's going to occupy despite showing that he was going to go the other way and the amount of goals that they've scored from that this season is is yeah concerning for us and something that we're gonna would have had to have been particularly conscious of going into the match but even more so given the likelihood that we're going to have to play defenders out of position more than likely with the likes of Johnson filling in at centre-back if Zuma's not fit and Cresswell although he's shown that he's good at left centre-back he's not naturally a left centre-back and he's not exactly blessed with pace so following those sort of sharp movements of Lindstrom and Borre could uh, be quite quite a, a challenge and then the two of them also team up perfectly in a sort of similar fashion to what we've seen from Fornals and Antonio in the press Borre is just absolutely relentless the guy 
just doesn't seem to run out of energy. Um, and he's a proper hustler as well, happy to get sort of tight and aggressive. And then Lindstrom has got, I think it's averaging four ball, no, five ball recoveries per 90, uh, but 70% of which are in the opposition half, which is evidence of um, what Jack pointed out of them, like enjo- not enjoying, but choosing to press out in these wide areas and trying to win the ball back up there. And both Kostic and Lindstrom are very, very capable of doing this. So we just need to be make, make sure we're safe and tight in possession. They, they sound dangerous, but we're looking at a team ninth in the Bundesliga. I think negative goal difference from what I just checked um so obviously they have been beaten and they are beatable I and mean, obviously this the highlight of their season must be this kind of this run and the, the the victory over barcelona but in the league especially they've not they've not looked like superstars jack so, so how do we beat them the main thing that's noticeable about frankfurt is one that they're soft in midfield and two that their system leaves a huge huge gap between the two in midfield, Rodin Jakic and Hintzreger, the, the central centre-back. So Barcelona didn't exploit that at all well. A 4-3-3 doesn't exploit that space at all because um, you're funneling the ball wide always in, in midfield, which suits them. Um, whereas if you're playing those penetrative passes through the middle or even just hitting the ball over the top of, of the pressing unit, then you can exploit that space uh, potentially in between the midfield and the defence. And that's where they look really, really soft. Jakic has got the recovery speed. He's a bit like a sort of uh, cheap man Suchek. Um, you know, he's not quite as good uh, in a lot of areas, um, but he's got the energy to get up and down. He presses really well. He recovers really well. He's good in the tackle, very aggressive um, player. And that, that helps him in that area, but road hasn't got the quite, quite the same recovery speed. And he's also not as good a controller as Rice is in there. So if you're looking at a, a sort of matching up in there, we'd be much, much stronger in, in the midfield. And then it's finding a player. And we have got a player who's very good at turning it, it, in the 10 position in Lanzini and someone who can, who can control a game in that area and exploit those spaces and that's really where you'd look at, at Frankfurt and say they're a, a lot weaker than a lot of sides you'd come up against so that's their main weakness that I can see so we were looking in this game is a kind of Lanzini could be and we it feels like we say this to every European game we play and maybe that's <laughs> that's a and maybe that's a hint of what happens when you're playing European football or slightly change of style I don't know but Lanzini is seemingly to come up as a very key man in each of those positions so I presume it's using him before we spread wide rather than automatically spreading wide if they're quite confident in wide spaces. Yeah, I think if you if you if you do play the ball wide, it's 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 really, really imperative that you play quickly in in the wide spaces because you can cause because they rush up so quickly, if you're able to play one with one or two touches and, and cycle the ball back and then hit the space in behind that, that's how you can get in behind them. If you if you are a little bit slower at receiving the ball or you play back to the fullback, then suddenly they've got enough players around you that it's really difficult to get out of the press. Um, so it's about playing quickly in the wide spaces and then trying to exploit the central space that's that's left. If you play a four, say if Zuma was fit, then mm. there's real opportunity to exploit that space. And we've got the, the defensive competency, competency in the wide positions from the wingers, if you're playing four nails and Bowen on the wings, to be able to protect against their, their wing backs, which is really how we'd like to play this game, I think. Um, if we're forced to play a five by injuries in defence, then you're looking at... Um, probably using four nails in the left wing back position. I can't really see how we'd have much of a great time against them with Masuaku in the left wing back position, because I don't think you've really got enough creative talent and speed on the ball. Um, and then using um, Lanzini in that sort of left forward position where he can drift into the middle and Boeing can go beyond and join Antonio as a striker. And then you're really looking at exploiting those spaces when you do get into them. With a five, I don't think we'd get into them as regularly as we would with a four. Um, but when you can combine in behind Jakic or in behind Road um, in front of Hinterega, it would be about being accurate, basically, and, and playing quickly and mm. accurately in those spaces. It might only happen four or five times in the game with the five at the back. But if we were able to create good chances off those four or five times and score two goals, then we would have done our job. Do you think we're better off matching up, especially with our kind of missing players, matching up and going for that five and just taking the hit on what we'll miss out attacking? Do you think that's going to be the best route at the moment? I think that's that's possibly the best route if if, um, if injuries cause that and mean that we need to, to set up that way. Um, 
my, my only fear with that really is you look at it and you and you can potentially foresee a game where neither side want the ball and I don't really know who wins the battle of trying to get rid of the ball um, because uh, Frankfurt are quite happy when they're in stable possession and they don't feel that they're going anywhere they'll drop the ball back into Hinteregger and he's a bit like a quarterback who'll just ping the ball out to the right channel or out to the left channel and Borre's got the pace to to hit those spaces and they'll try and create something off it but they're also not really unhappy if they turn the ball over in those situations then they can set a press really aggressively off the back of it um and you can almost see that we could end up doing something similar if we played a five is is, is trying to use antonio to stretch the defense trying to use antonio to hit the channels so you know you could play the ball wide into someone like four nows in the wing back space if he plays quickly cycle the ball back into a dawson in the middle and then dawson pings the ball over the top for antonio to try and hit the space in behind you'd end up with a quite similar patterns of play on, on both sides and i'm not really sure how that would end up work in terms of and someone winning that battle um it's easier to see how the game would kind of settle into a pattern with with us with us playing a four two three one against their five uh, with a five it would be a, probably a little bit more volatile i'm all right i think they've got a couple of injury suspensions for this first leg as well yeah so one player i probably should have mentioned really uh in in the best player section is evan and dicker who's the left-sided centre-back uh he got a red card i think it was like in the 10th minute of added time against barcelona second uh, yellow red which, yeah which is just kind of bonkers, but he is, uh, yeah, incredibly important, um, really pressed resistant centre back who, um, gets into some very advanced positions and is also quite a good playmaker in terms of his passing, not only progressing out from the back, but I've seen him make some nice line breaking passes like in behind to, to play Kostic in. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how Frankfurt set up without him because one, one of the reasons they're able to press so high up the pitch is because they've got him and then Toure on the other side who both possess really good recovery pace. So you kind of uh, much in a similar sense to the way that Liverpool press up because they have confidence in the likes of Van Dijk being able to get back and win the ball back. They can afford to overcommit because they know that if the ball's turned over, there's a good chance that Ndicca will be able to get back and recover um, so they can take more risks. So without him there, uh, I think the person that comes in is likely to be Hesebi, who's a 38-year-old centre-back. So quite a big difference in terms of their athletic ability. So I think if there was one thing that you would highlight in, in as being a potential weakness with Ndicca out, is a lack of pace in that back three. And if they commit to this um, high-intensity counter-pressing system with him out, there could be a, a gap at the back that the likes of Bowen could look to exploit if we're able to turn possession over quickly enough. Because Kostic is going to be so high up uh, in basically a left-winger position, there is going to be a gap. Um, and it forces the back three to spread out quite wide as well. So then it opens up gaps between the centre-backs with the likes of Antonio to run into as well. So it's just about being quick and uh, incisive on our counters, which we've seen us do sometimes, but in other games, we've not been as um, cutthroat. So hopefully uh, Antonio as well with the out ball and a link up with Lanzini, I think would be important. We saw that a lot against Leon and how... I was actually surprised quite frequently about how good his little like chests down or headers down into on runners. And that's the sort of stuff we're going to need to see with Bowen sort of hitting that space that Kostic has left and not been able to get back into yet. So if Antonio can nail those flick ons and stuff, it'll be good. But I will say that Frankfurt are a lot better in the air than Leon as well. So I don't think we maybe have as much success with Antonio going up against the likes of Hinteregger as we would him going up against Lukeba, who as good as he looked at times, was not aerially all that impressive. So what what are we worried about then? What issues do we foresee for us in this? Obviously, we've talked about how they play and what we can deal with, but where do you think the maybe the weaknesses would be compared? I think for me, the obvious one is it depends on what our defence looks like, essentially, because if we're if Zoom is out and we're forced into playing three centre-backs, one of whom is Johnson out on that right side, as good as Johnson is, I think uh, throughout the course of the season, I've been a little bit worried about his positioning at times and his sort of awareness. And is he, if he's asked, being asked to play in essentially a new role and on that right side where you've got the likes of Kostic and Kamada doing all sorts of mad rotations and runs, there's every chance that he's going to be I'd, out of his depth. Sounds very harsh, but it's going to be a real challenge for him 
to track those runs effectively without leaving massive gaps for other players to occupy. So I think one player in particular that's going to have to be on his A game if we do play a back three is Johnson. So I think that probably for me would be my biggest concern. I, I also think, um, I think a lot of people can have been frustrated at times uh, with us on um, throw-ins. <laughs> I think we can we conceded the goal against uh, Brentford, if you remember fairly recently, off a throw-in where we switched off. Um, and one of the areas where I think Frankfurt really do threaten is off throw-ins, as mad as that might sound, because that creates that naturally creates the narrowing that they want anyway, because you force a lot of players over to one side of the pitch, and they're happy to leave Kostic you know, almost pinned to the touchline with 20 yards around them so he can get going at full pelt to either line up across or, or hit a shot. Um, and that's somewhere we'll have to be really careful. You have to be really tight to them on throw ends. And then the other thing is, is we, we love set pieces. We want to win uh, free kicks in la- lateral areas. We want to win corners where possible. Um, and they're a th- massive threat off their own uh, defensive set pieces. Um, I don't, I, again, I don't think I've seen a side. I think we, we'd probably be the closest I've seen, um, as a team that attacks quite so aggressively off a, off a defensive set piece. Um, there was an example really early in the Barcelona game in the second leg, um, which I was stunned by really. They turned the ball over and cleared it and about six players went sprinting at full pelt out of the box. Um, and you rarely, you rarely see that. You might see one or two and then the rest jogging up in, in a shape, but they, they abandon the shape and they just fly forward as quickly as possible to try and create some kind of superiority in that area, whether it be a Barcelona player that wins the clearance or a Frankfurt player that wins the clearance to see that we're going to press you so aggressively that we're going to turn the ball over and attack you while you're exposed, or it's that we're going to make sure we win the second ball and then attack with massive numbers. Um, so in both of those areas, I think they're a threat and, um, Really, if you look at our defence, particularly if we're without Zuma, um, you know, you're sending Dawson forward, um, you're sending Suchek forward, you're sending Rice forward into the box. Who's going to be left um, defending? You've got what Johnson and maybe Cresswell's probably going to be taking the set piece. So it's going to be Johnson and maybe Fornals um, left at the back. Lanzini, you've not got massive recovery pace in there. And Johnson has also recently made that exact mistake um, defending from a corner, uh, our own corner, where he's turned the ball over into midfield. So that's somewhere where I think they'll look to attack us really aggressively, where we might be a little bit light. I mean, I was I was going to ask, that was by my next question, was on, on pace. I mean, are, are they a team with individuals blessed with pace? Because I, I, it's a concern, definitely in our wide areas. They've got tons of it. We've got tons of it. Knauf is really quick. Kostic is really quick. Lindstrom is extremely quick. Bore is quick. Um, so, yeah, they've got absolutely loads of pace going forwards. I mean, Kamada's probably the slowest of their front mm. five unit, and he's not no slouch. I was uh, going to say, he's probably still faster than quite a lot of our defenders. <laughs> so that, that front five unit that they've got is, mm. is rapid. Um, so, yeah, they will look to cause a lot of problems with their pace. It's not. It's not because I think when you said uh, you're talking about two teams kind of almost not wanting the ball, it reminded me of that early in the season against Wolves away at Wolves, where we kind of set up to match them. I think that was four now's first game in the left wing back. But dif- the difference from what I can gather is it looks to me like, well, it sounds to me like Frankfurt will take risks and will go high and will bomb forward when they think those opportunities are on, which Wolves were much more controlled. They were, you know, about not leaving those gaps, which sounds scary, but also. You turn that round, don't you? If if they're going to take the risks, they are. There's a reason they're called risks, and we can expose what they leave. No, precisely. Yeah. They're a high risk side. The strategy is high risk. But what happens with a t- with a, with that kind of strategy is if you develop the momentum, if you generate the momentum, and they get in a game that we're winning the second balls, we're winning the turnovers. You've not got the time on the ball. Then suddenly you interrupt the opposition's momentum on yeah. the ball and and sort of flow, and then it can be really difficult to get your creative players on the ball enough uh, because people shy away from it. They don't want it. They're worried about who's behind them. They're not doing things as quickly as they would do. And that's how they can really begin to dominate again, which is what they did so effectively against Barcelona. In that first half, they just dominated the entire game. They had virtually none of the ball, but Barcelona could do nothing with the ball. Um, and were so scared of what would happen when they lost it um, that they played really tentatively and played totally into Frankfurt's hands. Um, on the flip side of that, like you say, though, is with those risks, if you do play quickly, then it is not easy to exploit them, but they're leaving themselves extremely short in, in, in defensive areas. And what do you think, Cal, about how they're going to match up with Antonio? Are, they going to, are those three centre-backs going to handle what he does? Well, I think Antonio has proven throughout the course of the season that any centre-back 
can struggle with him. He's such a like a freak, and there's particularly across Europe, there's not many players that they'll have come up against that play in this style. And I think the fact that there's three centre backs as well um, offers them that extra sort of uh, defensive security if he is able to sort of bully and get in behind. Um, I think what I'd want to see them do, what I want to see us do, is to to spread the back three so that the gaps are open between the two centre-backs because um, one thing yeah Antonio and Bowen to be fair are good at is moving into those channels when they are vacated and I think that would be especially difficult for them to deal with given that the Indica is out and the pace they lack because once he's into that gap I wouldn't fancy any of their well maybe their right side centre-back but I wouldn't fancy Hinteregger or Hasebi assuming he plays to catch up with Antonio once he's bearing down on goal I think if that race starts there's only one winner but it's just getting into those positions in the first place would be the the biggest challenge. So what are we expecting then? What are you what are your thoughts, predictions, maybe not so not so quite precise as a prediction, but what are you expecting to happen on Thursday? I think um if we settle well um and encourage them to take the kind of risks um that they did against Barcelona um, and like Cal says, if we can create situations where you're, you're in foot races with Bowen or Antonio up against Hinteregger mm-hmm. or Hasebi, if he plays or whoever the left centre back is who, who plays, um, then we could be in business to score a few goals. It'll be about our defensive security, uh, going the other way. Um, that'll be the, the crucial thing is, is can we stop them from, from scoring goals? Because you could end up with a game, particularly, I think, particularly if you've got the two back fives against each other, you could easily end up with a game that's, that's got four or five goals in it. Um, because of the, the strength of either side, um, going forward and, and, and actually the way that each side going forward exploits the other team's weaknesses. Um, whereas, if if they settle on the ball a little bit more and we encourage them to play with the ball a little bit more and we can make that happen and make them commit into that three two five shape and then suddenly get Bowen or Antonio and that's not so much about a foot race, it's about them carrying at those centre-backs um, and carrying forward on counter-attacks, then I think we could have the kind of control that we would need to be able to win the game 2-0 or 3-0 and take a real advantage back to, to Frankfurt. It's about whether we can create um, those situations as it, actually a little bit about how we decide we want to play the game um and there are there are real sort of pivot choices about how to do that because there are massive risks as well with with conceding possession all the time and sitting back against a side that's got so much um creative incisive uh talent going forward as well so uh very difficult to predict um because because they're such a different team and we haven't really played a team like them this season. And then the other thing that I think slightly affects the game, well, doesn't slightly affects the game a lot, is Severe and Leon's second tournament, not hugely important, uh, other things to play for, other things to focus on, mm. um, not necessarily interested as a, as a whole club uh, about the tournament. Frankfurt, this is it. Yeah. This is the whole mm-hmm. season is about this. Uh, you know, they, they've been building up to an opportunity like this to win a Euro- European uh, tournament for years. They're like, a bit like us, massively well-supported club that have always underachieved in Germany. So there's a huge, huge level of support for this campaign. Everything's focused on it and they're extremely up for it. Uh, so it creates a completely different atmosphere and environment for the players than the one they faced against Sevilla and Lyon, where they can kind of feed off the arrogance of expectation mm. the other team had. How do you feel, Cal? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'd almost love to be a neutral because I think it's going to be extremely interesting tactically because the set the matchup is is perfect really for a sort of open attacking game. I think, it, like Jack's rightly pointed out, if we both set up in a back five, I think it could risk becoming something of a pinball match, particularly with how both sides like to operate down their left flank as well. It just could be turnover, switch, turnover, switch, and just like go back and forth, back and forth, which I mean, it could become free scoring, which would be insane, but it's not going to be good for my heart rate or any other West Ham fans. So um, let's not hope for that. Um, But yeah, I think it's a completely different game to both Sevilla and Lyon. I mean, Lyon also pressed aggressively, but they pressed incredibly irresponsibly as well, in my opinion, I think. Mm. Whereas Frankfurt, as high intensity and high pressing as they are, they're also extremely well organised. And I think because Lyon played a four rather than a three as well, that Frankfurt can afford to make those overcommitments and there's far less risk involved for them. So, yeah, it should be great. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not 
anywhere near as confident as I was for the previous legs because I think we matched up really well against Leon, whereas I think Frankfurt arguably match up not really well against us, but I think there's there's less obvious weaknesses for us to exploit. Um, and I think the threats that they present are more of a threat to us than what Leon's strengths were. So I think it's going to be or a severe, much more... Or severe. Yeah, uh, and that's yeah. a weird thing to say because Sevilla were second in La Liga and Frankfurt yeah. are what, ninth in the Bundesliga and you would expect the team ninth in the Bundesliga to be far easier to play. But because 100%. of the way they set that, up, it's, it's, it's not like that at all. I think on that as well, that point, I think I've seen a lot of people saying that, oh, they're ninth in the Bundesliga, like they can't be that good. They they didn't win for the first eight games and that's because they were playing a 4-3-3 that Glasner had played at Wolfsburg and finished, I think, third with last season. He tried to bring that philosophy over. wasn't working because Adi Hütter, the manager of the season before, had played a three-at-the-back system. They were, I think, in the relegation zone just before Christmas, changed to this three-at-the-back system that they were more familiar with and have just flown back up the table. Um, not quite high enough to be in with a shout of qualifying for European football in the league. I think mathematically there's still a chance, but I think really this is their biggest shot at getting a European competition next season. So I think, like Jack's rightly pointed out, is everything is riding on this game for them, really, which only adds to the occasion. There's going to be some intensity in this than two teams who are kind of want to it's just about winning this and probably more about winning the competition than winning for European qualifications. Like I'm quite looking forward to yeah. a, the thought yeah. of a game where every time one team attacks they're going down one wing and if they lose the ball the other team immediately tries to smash it across the other <laughs> side of the pitch and both teams just smashing the ball back and forth. But that's just me. Um and I'm not looking forward to the game at all. So I've really got to do that to keep me sane. Um <laughs> it, it sounds it sounds difficult. It does it sounds more difficult both of you sound less enthused less optimistic than you did for Lille and Sevilla which is a surprise but I suppose it's just how they tactically match up and their form does seem to be I'm guessing there's a, there's a sense of positivity around them at the moment that certainly Leon would don't have at all yeah exactly they come into it with it with a huge sense of positivity huge sense of excitement and they're like us they're just riding that crest of oh my God, we've made it to the semi-finals of the Europa League. This is the biggest shot the club's had in years of, of winning a tournament. And, um, and they'll be, they'll be confident just like we will be. Um, the key thing to remember going into it is that whilst we've talked about all the threats that they have, whilst we've talked about that they've got exceptional talent in players like Jesper Lindstrom, that midfield two is nowhere near as good as our midfield two. Rodan Jakic is miles off Rice and Suchek and it, it is imperative that those two are at their top level because if they are, especially someone like Rice, if Rice manages to get beyond Jakic at points in the game, they're going to be all at sea, Frankfurt, because then you're going to force yeah. one of the defenders to come out. If you force Hinteregger to step out, they're in all sorts of trouble. Even if it's Torre that comes out, then Hinteregger hasn't got the speed to cover the wide spaces. So there's a lot um, of potential for Rice and Suchek to really take control of the game uh, and and help massively help us to win it. And then again, the quality um, on on that sort of left side of defence defensively against dribblers isn't isn't particularly um, good. So while there is that that talent going forward and that wonderful sort of well drilled thing going on, mm. if you're looking at individuals versus individuals, even with us missing players, they're they're quite a long way off. So it could all come down to how well Bowen pins back Kostic and gets at him. Is <laughs> well, I think more for Bowen. It's I, I think more for Bowen. It's about attacking the the centre back. I don't think I think okay. he wants to kind of unshackle himself from Kostic. Don't worry about Kostic. Yeah. Um, I think for for me that's a that's a that's a massive duel for Sufal and will really. Um, paint the, the picture of his season because he had a, a, a poor start. He's had a good recovery from injury. And if he can dominate a duel against a player like Kostic, it'll be one of those games like we've had before from him where he dominated Grealish or whoever. And we've seen him do it against um, an opposition's main threat. So Sufal versus Kostic is the real duel for me on that side. And then for Bowen, it's about trying to attack that space um, on the blind side of Hinteregger or trying to drag um, the left centre back, who we don't know who it will be, possibly a CB, but whoever it is out into the wide spaces and, and to exploit the space behind Kostic. Because for me, I don't think there's any pinning Kostic back. He's always going to be, you know, high up the pitch and, and, and their main attacking threat. Well, that is, that's our, our view on Frankfurt then. Obviously, Biggest biggest game in modern history for the club. Biggest game in my lifetime. I'm sure you two boys, I mean, naturally would be for you two as well. Um, 
so for some people that 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 probably denotes some sort of level of excitement for me that'll be fear for the next three days possibly afterwards as well possibly most definitely during the match but hopefully that's the second leg that if if not an advantage at least we're still in and we can go over there we've proven that we can go away to these teams and perform so that's at least not something to be panicked about um but we'll have to wait and see as to what the kind of landscape is uh, by the time we're back next week and what we're analysing from it and what we're looking forward to for the second leg. Well, let's just all well. cross our fingers that Kurt Zuma's back really soon because that's yeah. that's the thing that's going to make a huge difference here. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't hold out any hope of that. But then, you know... When Cheers, mate, come out, on, I'm trying to... I'm when trying have to I ever held out any hope? I, I wouldn't want our listeners to think that I'm, you know, optimistic. <laughs> it would confuse and disappoint them. Um are we ending here, by the way? I have no idea what's coming. <laughs> okay, well, on that note then, that is us for the week on the podcast. Um, we will be back next week, hopefully in brilliantly happy moods. I mean, God knows what's going to happen post-Arsenal, but that doesn't really matter for now. Um, until then, we shall see you next week. Right, so we're here in the offices of a Late Late Show with the host of a Late Late Show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> Big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons. <laughs> <laughs>